Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. Today, Catherine, we're going to be talking about an incident that happened in Russia. It was a school shooting that happened on the 26th of September 2022, which that's only four days ago as we go to record this. This episode will actually be coming out later on this year. So just for context... It's very recent for us. Uh, But why do you want to talk about this case in particular? We often think of this frightening concern about mass killings, and we say, oh, this is such a U.S. phenomenon. This is something that happens in the United States. They're the ones who have all these guns. And while that's true, they're the ones who have all these guns, it is not necessarily true from a worldwide standpoint. Firearms exist all over the world. And It's a risk that is occurring more frequently on an international basis. It is a worldwide threat that I think years in years past, I wouldn't have been so inclined to say that. Now, we've got two incidents actually that happened on the 26th of September in Russia, sort of back to back. Tell us about that. The first one I just want to just mention briefly happened in a conscription office. So that would be a recruiting office for the military. And in that case, there was one person who was killed. But even in that case, is in all cases of these kinds of situations where we're talking about mass shootings, it is the vulnerability of all the other people in the building that you don't know if you're going to end up dead or alive and you have to run for your life very often. And so that was one situation. And one life lost is enough, of course. But then right on the heels of that, we had a term that we know so well here in the United States. We had a school shooting. And two different motives. The conscription office is all linked to the tensions in the Ukraine. But the school shooting, different motive entirely. And as you said, limited details that were available because it's almost just happened, right? Yeah, four um, days ago as we were recording this. So even when I was looking right. back today, the numbers of reported deaths had jumped around quite considerably. And actually, I really had to do a little bit of my best Russian translation in order to even pull some facts out there. Okay. Um, secret skills there? Are you able see, to speak Russian? Secret weapons. No, not really. <laughs> right. I just... <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I'm. I cannot. So I'm curious, I, sir. I know nothing about this. I know yeah. nothing. Just what I a spy nothing. would say, Catherine. <laughs> so, what we have is um, an individual shooter. It's a male, and not surprisingly, it fits some of the things that we hear about all the time when we think about shootings here in the United States. It's a male who has two handguns, who is 34 years old, spot on the average age of somebody here in the United States who does this. So right off the bat, ping, ping, two things that we would say is exactly what we'd see in here in the United States. A mm. uh, 34-year-old male who goes into a school that, in fact, he had previously been a student in. Well, that's the so, third ping, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, when we talk about patterns, right? Um, mm. Previously, he had been a student at that school years prior, and he steps into the school and immediately begins a shooting. And he kills what we know right now are at least 17 people in the school. And just for proximity's sake, it's, it's about 600 miles east of Moscow. I I'm not even going to try to pronounce properly the name. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Well, I actually went on to the BBC site because I was like, I need to know how to pronounce it. So this was my best effort. I think it is pronounced Izesk. Uh, Izesk. Okay. Izesk. I think that that sounds right. Bless the BBC. So we have a 34-year-old shooter, male, attended this school, and after he shot up a bunch of kids and adults, killed himself. I feel like we're having the same conversation just in Russia now. But there's some interesting differences, I think, here and, you know, things that are kind of worth conversations about. Mm. Sadly, it's easy after three seasons for our loyal listeners to appreciate and picture in their mind exactly what this individual did, even though we don't have all the details yet about, you know, what door he went in. And we haven't seen the surveillance footage yet that so often follows. Uh, this was a, you know, a regular school classrooms. We know that because in this case, we had an early release of cell phone footage. And you can see children running, fleeing from the building, which, you know, I encourage if need be, right? Let's make sure everybody runs and gets away, but others hid in classrooms and hid under desks. If we can back up a little bit to how did he enter and where did he go? What do you know on that? We don't know anything. I mean, I don't know anything. Obviously, law enforcement does, but he entered through the front door and the class was in session. It was morning. And just to give you a little picture of it, this was a what we would call a K through 12 school here. This was a full range of school age children. So from five years old, all the way up to secondary school, almost 18, right? The people who were killed were ages seven to 15. So it sounds like he didn't go into one particular classroom then. Right. I think he was on the move, but I don't think it was for a very long time and he did kill himself, but there were a really a kind of surprising number of people shot at the school. Sometimes we don't see this number of people shot just because um, shootings happen so quickly. And here, yeah. we don't have a time count on this shooting. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. The other thing that I did pick up on in the news was that there was actually, last count, 24 wounded. And of that 24, there were 22 children that were wounded. Yeah. He was there long enough to shoot a number of people and a lot of kids were wounded. And to me, that says those kids were probably on the move. 
and not necessarily sitting in a classroom in a lockdown situation. That's where we see a whole bunch of people who are dead, not wounded, but dead. The other thing that might have affected that is the weapons that were used. Yeah, I want to go back to the weapons in a minute. But of the 17 that died, it was reported that two were teachers, but two were also security guards. Right. I think it was quite a large school, a thousand pupils. Am I right in saying that? Yes. And I mean, this is a big town, 650,000 people in this town. Yeah. So this is not a little hamlet. I think the interesting thing about the security guards is it made me wonder what the differences are between security in different schools around the world. Uh, mm-hmm. Were these armed security guards? You know what? All of the coverage doesn't say whether they're armed, but here's what I did pick up using my best Russian, as they say. So two of the people who were killed were the paid security. And that makes me think, okay, how did that unfold? In all, there were 17 people killed and a shooter comes into the school in the morning and there are children all over the school. And as the shooter shoots, there are 17 killed, including 11 children, ages seven years old, up to 15 years old. Just sends a chill down your spine, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And, and it, it tells me an additional piece of information. Oh. The shooter was in the area in the school where the younger kids were, yes. not where the high school kids are. Interesting to me that he's 34, this killer. He's been out of that school for a very long time, and yet mm-hmm. something has made him go into the younger section of the school. What would make somebody do that? You know, some of it is just a construction aspect. When schools are built, and you have schools that have these age ranges, it's not uncommon to put the youngest kids in the first couple of classrooms. There's this concept that we're going to stack them youngest to oldest because we don't want a six-year-old up on the second floor or in another building and then having to come to the front office on their own. So we put those younger, more vulnerable kids by the front office And in fact, when we do that, the front office is where our shooters come in first. It's something to think about, isn't it, when you design a building? And when you assign classrooms, you know, Mm. why do you put your five-year-olds in the classroom that's right by the front door? Maybe you don't need to. So in addition to these 11 children that leave six adults, two teachers, two other adults who are on the scene, and the two security guards. And of the 24 wounded, as you mentioned, 22 were children. And it'll be interesting to see because there is always a debate about whether or not children should be allowed to move down the hallway if they're already in a classroom. This kind of gives me the impression that they weren't in the classroom. And I'll tell you, most shootings in schools in the United States do not occur in the classrooms. It's very unusual. They usually begin and occur outside the classrooms, in cafeterias, in hallways, in the front entryway of a school, oftentimes even starting outside the school first. In the three seasons, you've never shared that little piece of information with me. But when I think back to it, I mean, the only one that comes to my mind at the moment is the horrific one in Uvalde, which was in a classroom where it ended. That is a situation that I think is an anomaly. Now, Sandy Hook Elementary School, which was our first uh, episode, in the same way, there were a similar number murdered, two adults and, and 20 children. And those children were also in their classroom and all went into lockdown in their classroom as they'd been taught to do. And that shooter entered the school. He was only confronted by faculty members or adults within the school who he killed. And then he went into a classroom and then he went into another classroom. That's unusual 
in the overall picture of what we look at, even in school shootings. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it? Well, StubForge.com is here to change that. Imagine this. Tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from StubForge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But StubForge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, StubForge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With StubForge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift, or send the coolest invites, Head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. I want to talk about the gun. I want to talk about the motive. But tell me first, how did the actual incident end? So I mentioned that 22 of the 24 wounded were children. And as I said, that tells me that even though we don't have all the details on this shooting yet, that he was likely moving somewhat and it ended very quickly with him killing himself. So even though law enforcement responded, he did, as we see oftentimes, you know, 30 to 40% of these shooters commit suicide, often at the scene, and often that's a previously intended action. And that's exactly what we have here. So I think there'll be a lot more that will come out. You know, I say there will be more, but it's hard to say because here's one of the biggest challenges about us learning from incidents is that when a shooter dies, very often, oftentimes the law enforcement agency closes the investigation. There's nobody to prosecute. And the challenge for those of us left trying to stop the killings is that sometimes we don't have as thorough of an investigation as we might like to see because the resources are put into the living, not the dead. Let's talk about the actual weapons that the killer used in this incident, because they weren't actually registered from what I read. And they weren't actually, correct me if I'm wrong, they weren't actually lethal weapons originally. Yeah, actually, they're called traumatic weapons. Think of a weapon that fires a blank shot. They're non-lethal weapons. They might shoot rubber bullets, for instance. So that's what he started off with. I think he had two guns. Are they handguns? Yeah, they're handguns. I don't have the model that he had. So some of them are small enough that, you know, if you look down at your own hand and you think about the size of your hand, chances are you might be similar to the size of this gun because they're designed to shoot a couple of rounds, which begs the question, 
if there are 17 killed and 24 injured, what kind of modifications do you have to do to be able to have that many rounds that you can put into this weapon? So what we have here is guns that were modified. If he killed 17 and wounded 24, that is such a math problem for me at this time of day, but I'm going to math it up in here. I'm going to be crazy and say that's 41 people. Math it up. Do you like my verb? I do um, like, you know, not a maths podcast, as I like to say. This is not a math podcast. My brain podcast. shut down as soon as you started using numbers. I was like, I can't do it. Next week, we're going to try to add triple digit numbers. Oh, um, oh God, I hope we don't. That would be a very bad episode. No, that's a good point. No, no, we no, we would be talking about all the people who weren't wounded, who weren't killed. I didn't think about it that way. Good point. So 41 people who were injured with bullets means this guy likely had a couple hundred rounds on him. That'd be my guess. So this person has modified these guns to become lethal weapons. So that begs the question, what kind of skill level do you need to be able to do that? I hate to tell you this, but you know, YouTube, there's a whole cottage industry of how to do stuff yourself out there. And it also includes modifying guns and, and it's not all for nefarious purposes. It's a hobby for many people. And there's plenty of people who like to tinker with them and make modifications. You know, you've trained me to be always looking for leakage. So when I'm thinking this person has gone online and then altered these guns, he's probably had to get specialist equipment ordered in or what have you. Right. Can we talk about who might have seen that? What's his living situation? We don't know a ton about him yet. So I don't want to say that we know a ton about him, but think about in a country that doesn't have everybody walking around with handguns. This guy makes modifications to two weapons. And as you said, did he live with people? Did anybody else see those modifications? Did he order materials that might have come in the mail in a country where there's a lot less monitoring of privacy rights than you know there are here in the United States or that there are in the UK? So who saw that? And what kind of check systems do they have in place? Or what are they going to put into place because of this? And I think that's part of what the fallout will be in Russia is the idea that this is going to happen again. And certainly as soon as this occurred, there were actions taken at other schools in the country, which we don't often. Okay. What did they do? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that they did is there was a directive that they check and verify the existence of and the functioning of panic buttons in schools, metal detectors, right? In the schools and also any surveillance systems that existed. That was a directive that was put out throughout this large city, 650,000, specifically to say, we need to make sure that the people in our schools are safe. And that happened within days. That was fascinating. Direct action to say, we're not going to let this happen again in our city. When I was doing a little bit of the old research for this episode, I was interested to know how many other school shootings or university shootings there had been in Russia. And the article I stumbled across had said that they were very rare up until 2021, and there had been two spree shootings. After those two shootings, there was also one in a kindergarten in 2022. They did change the laws in Russia. They changed the age to access hunting rifles from 18 to 21, which I think we've seen in states in America after certain incidents. Mm -hmm. Parkland. Yeah. Now, this is what I think is quite interesting and relevant because we're going to link it back to the killer in this particular case. They also strengthened medical checks to access weapons. Now, I bring that up because this particular killer was 
according to the newspapers, registered as a patient in a psychiatric facility. Yes, he was absolutely registered as a person who had been at a mental health facility. Everything that I read said he was outpatient. So I think that there are many people who get mental health assistance. And because they get mental health assistance doesn't mean they're at a higher risk, as we've talked about before. But what it does mean is there would be possibly more opportunities to see leakage, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And things that maybe caused the stress that prompted somebody to do this. But also here in the United States, we've had many discussions in the last year or two about if you have mental health issues that might prohibit you from buying a gun, if that's registered within the system that is used to check whether or not you can purchase a gun, the NICS system. And so, you know, it's interesting to see that you might have had somebody who was clearly a obtaining at some point mental health care, but had the weapons. But then here's what we know. Those weapons that he had, he didn't have legally. Yeah. So And we're it, not lethal initially. And we're not lethal. So he has yeah. two non-lethal weapons that he modifies to commit this horrific shooting, horrific shooting. Imagine going to this school and seeing that there are 17 people dead in the school and 24 wounded. I mean, that is carnage that is blood all over the place. You know, people who left the school seeing all these people who were wounded and injured and bleeding as they moved out through the schools and the shooter killed himself in the school. So all of the people involved saw all of this talk about trauma and it just doesn't go away. We talk about motive a lot and a lot of times we don't know why he did it, but there are some telltale signs here that are conflicting, which I think is kind of interesting. So just to back up, we have a 34-year-old shooter, a male shooter who goes into a school that he's familiar with, and he fires in a very short time, and then he kills himself. So then, of course, they're immediately mourning in the community, and they're going to begin to put together what they know about this individual. We have a very small amount of information so far, because it's so early on. But we do know because of the video footage and the pictures that were released by law enforcement that the shooter was wearing a black t-shirt. His t-shirt had a red swastika on it, a symbol for Nazis. Mm. Um, You know, his head is covered in a black mask. Hold on. Did you just say he was wearing a mask? Yeah. The fact that he's worn a balaclava in terms of where he's sitting psychologically makes you wonder why he's covering his face if his intention is to commit suicide. I think part of it has to go with what we see in many shooters, the concept that they have to become a little bit of somebody else in order to commit such a horrific act. You know, no one's a seven-year-old saying, I want to be a mass murderer when I grow up. So they become this additional person as they work their way towards acceptance that they want to commit this violence. But at this short date, right after the occurrence, we know that he was in a black t-shirt with had a bright red swastika on it. I'm pretty confident somebody would have noticed that. You're right. That's a piece of leakage I hadn't thought of. Yeah. Somebody's walking around with the bloody giant swastika on their shirt. Right. So where did you get that? And who noticed that? When we talk about this being targeted violence, this is why. He took the time to get these weapons. He took the time to get the ammunition, modified the weapons, found the right t-shirt to wear to the party in his mind, made this decision that he was going to probably kill himself, put something over his head, went to the school, shot the school up. That's a lot of pre-planning.
Ohio is a land of mystery, from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomena slicing through her skies, from myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins. Convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6000 cash, give us each 3000 we give you this. Uh-huh. You go home, and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. So I wanted to tell you something about this subject, though, when you talk about leakage that I don't know if you had picked up. This subject sent emails to people before the shooting. I missed this. Do tell. He sent emails to a number of locations and people ahead of time. And it's fascinating about what the emails said versus what we think. So when you asked me about motivation, based on what we know so far, what would you think he was motivated by? Well, I would think neo-Nazism along the lines of that white supremacist Christchurch killer manifesto that he's right. been putting out there. Right. The long rambling, yes, filled with junk hate manifesto. And, yeah. Hate, hate. So I think hate is the key word here. Now, when law enforcement announced this, they said this is a terrorist act. But in fact, the email that had been sent out maybe less than an hour before, but not in a situation where it could have been caught and who was it and where was he going and things like that. He sent out emails to more than one location. And he said, I want you to know this was not a terrorist act. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. Also, you said he sent them out to a location. Who did he actually send them to? He sent them out to other schools, other organizations. In the emails that he sent out, he said, this is not a terrorist act. This is not a terrorist act. He said, hatred, the word you just used, hatred, if I can just quote from him, is the only reason for what happened. Hatred. In fact, some of the magazines had the words hatred written on them. So he is just a hate-filled person, and that's his motive. Well, I think that whatever occurred in his life, he grew to such anger that he narrowed his focus of all of the wrongs in his life and the wrongs from people around him into the word hatred. He hated, and he specifically said, this is not a terrorist act. I am not a member of any extremist organization. This is not a political act. The only reason for this is hatred. 
It makes me feel quite physically sick and slightly emotional just hearing such vitriol. They can take that emotion and then it overpowers everything else in their life that they can only feel hatred. They can't feel any joy. They can't feel any love. Yeah. To me, it speaks to the fact that we have to watch for people around us who, you know, in the old days, we would just say, well, he's just a crabby person. He just doesn't like anybody. You know, hate breeds hate, I think. And that anger at the world is a really tough explanation for people to understand why he would do this. It is hard to understand that and translate it. But I think more of what you just said, you know, how sad is it for anybody's life to get to a point where their whole focus is hatred? And that for whatever the reasons you decide you want to kill others, that person is out there and showing some kindness. It's not a heavy lift to be polite to a stranger, to the taxi driver or to the bus driver. Just be kind to people around you. It's not that hard and it's free. Just be kind. You have no idea what people are going through on any given day. No idea. No idea. There always will be more to come, but I think, let's be frank, in a case of a country where messaging is more controlled, we may not get the details that we'd like to get, but I think over time, there'll be some details put together and this will join the ranks as one of the most terrific shootings that we study from an international standpoint over time. And sadly, I think it'll be numbers, right? Why is that? Because there were more killed. And I hate that is the criteria for why we study a particular shooting. Oh, there's more killed. I think we want to know more about how the weapon was modified, even though we know that weapons can be modified. We want to understand more about a shooter that we will never really be able to understand because he chose to kill himself. So that's the hard part about a situation like this. But I think that there are things that we can carry away from this shooting. One of them is to be kind, obviously, as we talked about, but one of them is to be aware of those around us and look for behaviors of concern. Because we always see predictive behaviors of concern and leakage. Walking around with the t-shirt with the Nazi symbol on it is a pretty good indication that there's a lot of rage going on inside. And it is a clear symbol that is used to signify hate. Uh, but I think maybe more than anything else, when you think about 17 people killed, two security people killed, 24 wounded in a very short time. It is another unending story about how death and destruction can happen very quickly and that every effort should be made to prevent by looking at who are these people who are at risk and looking at the individuals around us to see whether they are under stress and there's a way that we can help them. Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. 
This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to Community Podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And check out our show notes for all the links mentioned. Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it. Because it will happen, and it will happen in places you wouldn't expect. Be ready for it. If you've enjoyed Stop the Killing, check out more podcasts from Community Podcast Productions, like this one. Something is creeping in. Don't follow it down. 24 hours ago, I found out the person that I've been dating for the last six months is a con man. That is my sister Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series... And that's when murder, mm. all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con.